0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. I don't think any of us need to be told that this week is the one-year anniversary of everything sort of coming, tumbling down. I don't think many of us were caught off guard as we began to see pieces flash on our social media, on the news, on the radio, of the one-year anniversary of everything shutting down. In fact, I I was, went back and read the letter that I wrote and read to you all a year ago last Sunday as we prepared for What we didn't know. And I remember taking that letter and and ripping it up five days later as things changed, as the theater then shut down, as we moved into Green Bench for six months, as we went online only for all of that. But we've seen all these retrospectives come up this week. We've seen uh, all of this happen because we really, a year ago, had no idea what was coming did we? None of us would have predicted that this year went the way it did. I know I didn't. And if I'm being honest, as I reflect over the past years, I reflect on my life. I, I can think of so many times where in the past year, hope would seem so distant. I can think of a number of times where where I'd lose heart. And maybe, maybe you're with me in that. Maybe you were there at times this year when you just didn't know if things were gonna turn around, where you just didn't know if there was a light at the end of the tunnel. And then fast forward to this week, and all of a sudden it feels like the wave that was 2020 is. Gotten the week that is or the year that's 2021 right behind it as a bigger wave, as we saw murders motivated by racism and misogyny, as we saw reports that yes, vaccines are going out, but then there's also COVID spiking in other places. As I saw more of my friends who are pastors in ministry hang it up and and leave because their churches didn't have their money, or or the church was so divided over cultural issues that they couldn't keep going. And that's just my stuff because you guys have felt these pressures too. I mean, think about it. Many of you are parents and raising your children, trying to make decisions with education, with, with where you can and can't go has been brutal. Or being single in a time where we are socially isolated is incredibly difficult. We've all experienced fear of the future, desire for normalcy, the simplicity of missing smiling faces. We've been in it for this past year. And so it seems that it's just, it's just disappointment. And then our own internal anger, anger piled onto it. We let despair drift in through our open windows and infect us, infect us with listless lack of hope. I think many of us have felt that this year. And we've been now since January walking through the book of James. And James has been showing us the ways that we are double-minded. The way that our faith is haunted by our doubt. And for some of us, the way that our doubt is haunted by our faith. But week by week, as we have walked through James, what we have seen is calling out that double-mindedness, the way that we are prejudiced towards others, the way we separate our faith from our real life, the damage that our tongue does, the lack of wisdom that we have in our daily decision-making, our pursuit of worldly success and accolades, the way that we leave God out of any concept of our future planning. We have seen this again and again. We have been convicted And now we look back on the book of James and we look back on the year that we've had and James begins to wrap up this letter and he does so by reminding of us, of our calling, of what we as Christians are called to. And what he tells us is that we are called to enduring simple faithfulness to Christ not to something grand, not to something big and mind-blowing and amazing and world-changing. No, we are called to lives of enduring, simple faithfulness to Christ. And here's the trouble. Here's the trouble with me and the trouble with you. Despite the fact that we're called to enduring simplicity in our faithfulness, we are restless in the way that we want to wrestle control back from God. And we are are anxious in the ways that we just give up entirely in the face of trouble. That's where we find ourselves. And that's where James wants to speak to us this morning. And so if you are able this morning, I would invite you to stand up as I read James chapter five, verses one through 12. I'll be reading from the English standard version and invite you to stand with me as we hear God's word together. Come now, you rich. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived in the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. James begins chapter 5 with, with something that is a little bit different from James's practice so far, what James does is not drawing on on proverbs and psalms, the wisdom litter of the literature of the Old Testament that has come so far, but rather he begins to to draw from the tradition of the Old Testament prophets, because when he speaks at the beginning of chapter five, when he says to the rich, "Come now, you rich, weep and howl." He's actually not speaking to the Christians in the church that he's writing to. He's speaking to those outside of the church, which has a long-standing uh, part of the Old Testament literature. Think of the prophet Jeremiah. How many times he prophesied against Babylon? How many times he prophesied against Persia? And where did he do all this from? Where was he speaking from? Who was he speaking to? Was he in Babylon? No. He was speaking this to the Israelite people. Or the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied against Assyria, who heard that prophecy? Was it, strangely enough, it was not. It was the people of Israel. But just like that, James is speaking to these these rich landowners. And he is beginning to show them the error of their ways. As we've walked through the book of James, you've probably noticed that again and again and again, he he introduces a new topic by saying, brothers, brothers, let's do this. Brothers, let's do that. Even in our own passage, when he changes the subject from the rich to the return of Jesus, what does he say? He says, therefore, brothers, let us, and he goes on. And so James says this to these people, to these rich landowners. He calls out the wealthy who have piled up cash through exploitation. You see, the problem isn't the money itself. The problem in the Bible is not wealth, but rather how that wealth is attained And what that wealth is used for. Even in our own passage that we read this morning, we see this. What does he say? You have gotten this wealth by defrauding your workers. They have not been paid fair wages and they have not been paid on time. You you hold the money back until it's convenient for you to write those checks and all the while you make money off the interest or you do whatever else you want with it. It's interesting because God actually addresses this very thing in Deuteronomy 24. He says, if you hire someone to work in your field, they must be paid on the day that they work. And what are these rich landowners doing? Saying, yeah, yeah, you get paid when you get paid. I'm good for it. And they have become rich by the way that they are defrauding others, by the ways that they are they're criminal In the way that they are treating their workers. And then the money that they use, the money that they get from this, they use on what? They use it selfishly on themselves. In fact, they buy so many clothes that they can't even wear all the clothes. So what happens to these clothes? The moths come and eat them. They buy so much jewelry so much silver and gold jewelry that they can't wear it. They can't keep it from being tarnished. And so what happens? The silver and gold is tarnished. This is James is painting a picture for us that is vivid. Imagine someone who lives such an opulent lifestyle that they can't even keep up with all of the stuff that they have. And so that stuff begins to rot. That stuff begins to tarnish. That stuff begins to poison them. Because the word that James uses here for rust is the same when he talked about our tongues. Our tongues are poisonous to us in the same way that using these riches for self-indulgent are. And it's interesting because he then accuses them of murder. All the while, All of these people who you have hired to till your land, all of these people you have hired to farm in your vineyard are starving while you are fattening your own heart in the day of slaughter. Now, it would be easy for us to read this passage and think, ah, yes, James, go get Jeff Bezos. Go get Amazon. Because that's the—that's exactly the same thing that he does. Ah, yes, James is going after the billionaires. I like this James. Let's go get him. And it, there are clear lines that we can draw there. But I think one of the reasons our hearts goes there so quickly is that it lets us entirely off the hook. Because I would rather think about how the Bible talks about his sin than to consider the way that my convenience has trumped compassion for others in my life. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about the cost of my convenience to other people in my community. I would rather just punt and say, yes, James says that Jeff Bezos is bad, bad, and I'm good and I'm off the hook, and this passage isn't about me. But why is James writing this passage where he goes after these rich landowners who apparently are not Christians? Why does he include this in his letter? Because he wants to show... And most of us would, would say, ah, yes, well, that's, mm, hmm, hmm, Yes. Money can't buy you happiness, of course not. And yet, how many of us then turn and look at our neighbor's new car? Or even our neighbor's new pavers in their backyard? Or our friend who is able to purchase a home? How many of us look around at what other people have, and the disposition of our heart is the disposition of envy? I know that's true of me more than I care to admit. And James is warning us, don't be envious of those who have all of these things because all of these things are actually piling up judgment against them. This story that James tells, this, this piece of the letter that he writes, has, has clear echoes of, of the parable that Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man who lived his life in, in absolute opulence, while Lazarus sat out at his gates, eating the scraps with the dog. And then one night, both Lazarus and this rich man die. And as, as the rich man looks up from, from a hell, he sees Lazarus in hell. And God tells this story. Jesus tells us this story. And James illustrates this again, that we could have all of the luxuries we can imagine in this life and miss the greatest thing, which is the gift of Jesus Christ. That all of this comfort in this life does not translate into comfort in the next. And so we look at this text not to be envious, because the Lord is returning, and the Lord will settle the accounts the Lord will settle what he's doing and so he encourages us to see this and to be honest with those around us let's not get trapped in the ways that we can subtly imitate those people who gain their fortunes by defraud and we can we can genuinely but humbly call out what is wrong we can Comfort others around us because our eyes are not on ourselves. Our eyes are not on the envy of what other people have. Our eyes are not looking to side with the oppressors, but rather siding with Jesus so that we can be a genuine, warm comfort to others. I think of this particularly this week as, as we saw the murders in Atlanta And we can see in this passage echoes of what we as Christians need to be. God sees and hears the cries of the Asian community, especially Asian American women who were targeted in this. And we can say that just like the rich oppressors in this passage in James will not always succeed. God will bring judgment. The same is true that the world will not keep going on. On this trajectory, God sees just like he sees and hears the wages that have been stolen from these people. In fact, it says that the, these wages cry out almost, almost as if he's quoting Genesis where the blood of Abel cried out to God. So we can see, God sees and so do we as a church. God hears and we as the church are listening because Jesus' return is going to set all things right. It's going to upend all of the social order it is bad news for the oppressors and good news for the Christians. And that's where James turns his attention. He comes back to us and he says to us that the Lord is returning. Sometimes at City Church, we, we confess the mystery of the Christian faith that goes like this. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And this is not something we often talk about. Maybe it's, maybe it's because this was such a popular thing in Christianity in the, the 80s and 90s to talk about the return of Jesus. Maybe the pendulum has swung the other way, but James is sure of it. And he's not using this as a tactic to scare us, to sort of get us and spur us into some sort of action, but rather he uses this idea that Jesus is returning to encourage us to encourage us in times of suffering and endurance. Hey, that's us. Because what has the last year been if not suffering and endurance? He says, just like the prophets suffered and remained steadfast, just like Job suffered and remained steadfast, we should do this too. Of course, we know that that's easier said than done. It could sound glib even to say that, ah, yes, 2020 and 2021, just be steadfast and patient, okay? Go do it. No, rather, James doesn't just say, Jesus is coming back, be cool. He explains why this is encouraging to us and how it should change us. This should be encouraging to us Because God has a purpose. Just like in the life of Job, God was not wasting Job's suffering. God was not capricious. God was not random in the way that he walked with Job through this. Rather, he had a purpose and in his purpose, he was merciful and compassionate. We can't always see that in the heat of the moment. When we are suffering, when we are going through something that requires us to endure, we can't always see it. But God is always at work, never wasting our suffering. Because in this world, suffering is not a sign that things have gone wrong, but rather that things have gone normal in a world wrecked by sin. And that's what God is fighting against in our heart. He is compassionate and merciful. And so as we look at these trials, the reason why liberation is coming, church, Jesus is returning. And even when we can't see the results of our simple faithfulness in our life, Jesus promises it just like that seed is buried underground and one day will sprout into the plant. So God is at work oftentimes in invisible ways in our lives and in the lives of those we love, but it is invisible. And so we're called to simply be faithful in our endurance This is incidentally why James ends by this sort of random proverb quoting from Jesus about letting our yes be yes and our no be no. It is again, simple faithfulness. You don't need to be the kind of person that promises with these grand acts and this grandeur of words. Rather, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Our simple, enduring faithfulness extends even to the words that we say. Church, this is the way that Jesus works. Jesus' body was sown into the ground. He was the righteous one who was murdered and condemned. Just like this passage says that the oppressors have done, that the rich have done, He was the righteous one who was condemned and He did not resist them. Jesus willingly gave up his body, gave up himself to death on a cross. And in doing so, he took the judgment that we deserve for our envy, for our, our hopelessness, for the ways that we give up so quickly. And he nailed it to the cross and then he was buried in the tomb, set in the ground. And three days later, he rose from the dead and everything Change. Jesus' body was the seed that was planted in the ground and was buried. And just like the seedling that sprouts up first, that first hint of green and the brown field that gives the farmer hope, so too is Jesus' resurrection in our life. It is the start of something new. It is the start of everything changing, the death and destruction that had reigned from the time of Adam's sin up until that very moment began to ebb away. The tide began to go out. The light began to pierce the darkness. Life began to overcome death. And yes, darkness and death still rage. They still shoot and they still kill, but it is not the last word. So church, let's press on in simple faithfulness. Let's remain steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, which is our simple faithfulness, which is our faithfulness to what he has given us to do, not in these grand and earth shattering ways, but in faithfully loving our neighbors from our heart. Let us have eyes or ears, that are quick to listening, especially to those who are in pain. Let us have eyes that don't look in envy, but rather look in the ways that we can give to others. Let us have hands that are not fists that hurt, but rather that are quick to mend the brokenhearted. Let us have feet that run towards those who are in need. Let us, Let us in our lives feel the deep compassion and mercy that Jesus has shown and given to us through his faithfulness. And may that shape us in the way that we look at everyone else around us. Let's pray.